Hi there, Megan Thompson with Megan Thompson Coaching. And today we're going to cover what to do if your highly sensitive child or teen will not talk to you about their emotions. Hello and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Okay, so here at MTC, we help parents of highly sensitive kids and teens break out of the meltdown shutdown cycle. What is that, you say? Uh, That is when your child is losing their mind and hitting, kicking, throwing things, uh, body on the floor, running away, refusing. Uh, shutting down and yelling, etc., um, isolating themselves and refusing to follow through on not only your directions, but also transition from activity to one activity to the next, struggling significantly with any, with any of these behaviors at home, at school, or both. And uh, that cycle is something that is necessary for you to be paying attention to as a parent, right? If you're a parent of a highly sensitive kid or teen, and uh, breaking out of this pattern requires multiple steps because there's there's a lot of deep rooted uh, needs that are that your child has uh, need that need to be reorganized for them to adjust the behavior. Okay, so one thing that we hear from parents is that they have tried over and over again to talk to their kid about emotions to break out of this pattern, right? And it's critical that your child is able to name their emotions, express them effectively, safely in order to break out of the meltdown cycle. And if your child's struggling or your teen's struggling to talk to you about emotions, they won't even do it, you know, la la la, you know, ears plugged, uh, even to the point where, um, you know, they're treating it like the dreaded F word (laughs) feelings. They won't even, they have a reaction as if you're cursing at them when you name it. Um, and, And so as a parent, when this is happening, you can feel pretty stuck, right? Um, not not just stuck, lost, confused, frustrated, uh, exhausted on top of dealing with the with the emotional spiral of those meltdowns too. And so what's one thing that you might be doing? You might be um, t- deciding that your child needs to be quizzed by these emotions. You might be trying to ask questions about emotions all day long. Um, you might try to expose your child to emotional, you know, emotion laden books and to try to turn this around. You might try to support your child in managing and sharing their emotions by um, by sharing, by, by talking about different TV shows that, that share emotions. You might be trying to model emotion communication uh, or just use playful means, emotion games, activities, etc. And if all of these tactics start to fall flat with your child, uh, they, they are you know leaving the room, they're shutting down, they're struggling to participate in any of these experiences, then for you as a parent, uh, this can feel quite frustrating, quite um, quite worrisome, and you might be worried about whether or not you are the one to teach your child about emotions in the first place, right? 
especially if you are a professional in the field. This can be relevant whether you're not a professional in the field or if you are, but I wanna add that extra layer, right? Because we have so many parents who work with us who are, who are uh, you know, licensed mental health providers or um, they are uh, teachers or you know, in the medical field, doctors, nurses, physical therapists who understand the importance of, of emotional communication, speech language pathologists, etc. So these are things that for you might feel like they're in your wheelhouse and you might really struggle with your own child uh, who is refusing to participate in these activities that you use all the time with clients, right? Um, or with your students. And so when we think about that big, uh, big shift, one of the things you might worry is, well, maybe because you know my success is, is typically in my career, um, because I'm not the child's parent whom I'm working with, maybe that's true for my kid. Maybe my kid needs to work with somebody else. Uh, maybe, you know, your, your child is saying things like, um, you know, mom, stop therapizing me. <laughs> stop treating me like one of your students. Um, something like that, right? That might be part of the issue that your, your child is highlighting and worried that they are, um, that, that you're not acting like their parent in this dynamic. And that's impacting their, their receptivity to using some of the skills that you're trying to teach them. Um, it, it is important to notice that that might be true, right? That, that could be relevant for your kid, that that's you know, adding to their uh, refusal response in, in this dynamic with you. But it is still important to notice the concept of bandage sensitivity and the fact that highly sensitive kids need to change their behavior through the parent-child relationship, okay? So it's really important that, that we cover this because a lot of parents will say, you know, my, my, my kid just won't talk to me when I cover emotions. They must need to talk to somebody else. I must need to set my kid up with, you know, their favorite aunt to have these conversations or it's going to be enough if they talk about it in school with their teacher or if they have a, you know, a, a lunch bunch that they go to or it's going to be enough if I send my kid to therapy once a week to get their emotions out. This will definitely break us out of the cycle. That will, that will solve the problem. And it's important for you to notice that if you're parenting a highly sensitive kid who's having meltdowns on a daily, multiple times a day or multiple times a week basis, and I say meltdowns, that same thing for outbursts, you know, yelling, kicking, screaming, same thing for uh, refusals multiple times a day, multiple times a week um, or anywhere in between. And then also for isolating, they are running up to their room, slamming the door, staying stuck, not wanting to do anything, not wanting to engage with you. If your child's highly sensitive and you see any of these behavior patterns, you are the change agent for your child. That means that the relationship with you is what is going to support your child in changing that dynamic. It's really, really important that you follow the science on that, not your worry, which is that you're inadequate to teach them or that you're, um, you're, you're not equipped or that your child just won't relate to you. And I wanna talk about this because what we see often, one of the key reasons that this is happening is because your delivery of these emotional skills is off, okay? Highly sensitive kids, just like highly sensitive adults, really hang on to details. And details include semantics. Semantics are how you say what you're trying to say. And so if you're delivering the experience of talking about emotions in a way that doesn't actually hit the nail on the head for your highly sensitive child, 
then they can you know move into the black and white thinking of that anxiety has them stuck in which is that you know mom just can't help me and then they start to you know raise the the intensity anytime you bring this up okay it's really important that the way that you talk about emotions is covered we're going to talk about the three c's in, in managing this today um, stay tuned but before we before we uh, address this we have to break down the myth that you're not the one to teach your kid okay well, i've been doing this for over 10 years and so have many of my colleagues here in the in the, uh, in the coaching practice here uh, we've been supporting parents and breaking out of this pattern every, every which way to sunday and when we were doing this and earlier in our careers we were trying to serve clients through our individual mental health practices we were seeing the child in the session and then sending them on their merry way to you know manage and be aware of their emotions in their environment to include in the home talking to the parents you know once once a month or something like that and update the parents on how the kids doing the child highly sensitive children were not changing their major behaviors with that approach okay so this is years of observation and, and using the traditional approach which does not work for highly sensitive kids okay highly sensitive kids make out one out of every five kids in um, in the world okay one out of every five people is highly sensitive but one out of every two people end up in the men mental health world that means that the mental health supports that are using the the approach for non highly sensitive children are not moving the needle it's not working okay and and what gets kids into therapy uh, the reasons why kids come to therapy means that something's not working in the environment something's not working in the school something's not working in the community something's not working at home which is what's leading to kids going into therapy in the first place at a much more uh, per pervasive rate than their non highly sensitive peers right we would be looking at one out of every high uh, one out of every five kids in therapy is highly sensitive if the um, if the proportions were equal, but they're not. So what happens? That means we need to be looking at how we're parenting kids who are highly sensitive differently. We need to be looking at how we're supporting them in the school settings, and we need to be looking at, at how we're, we're advocating for them in the community. All of those three components, though, have to be through the parents. As a parent, you are your child's most trusted relationship. Even if your child is responding to you in a way that makes you second guess that trust, that dynamic in your household, you are the most powerful person in the, in the household to shift that dynamic. And that dynamic has to improve in its level of um, positive relationships and, and you know, gauging the, the level of happiness, uh, clarity, um, feelings of being understood, uh, closeness, all of those components need to increase. Your child needs to feel closer, needs to feel happier, needs to feel more emotionally in control in their house and in support and by su being supported by their parent in order for their skills to generalize effectively in the school and generalize effectively in the community. Okay, extracurriculars, um, you know, church, um, you know, lessons, scouts, sports, etc. Okay, so. Since we know that, that's true for all of the research, Lenahan's research, Porges's research, uh, Elaine Aaron's research, um, and everybody in between, okay? I'm not gonna, ref I'm not going to um, 
cite all of that today because we only have so much time for you to be focusing on it. You just need to trust that that, that countless research since the 60s, 1960s, I now need to stipulate that, <laughs> since the 1960s has been definitive. Parents need to shift their dynamic with, the, with highly sensitive kids, all right, in order to uh, shift this per, per um, in order to, to shift this uh, display of behavior and break out of the meltdown cycle. Think about it. If the environment, the society we live in, okay, parenting highly sensitive kids in you know, the first world society, all right, the way we're parenting, the way we're teaching, the way we are treating highly sensitive kids is leading to half of the child population being full of, that go to therapy, being full of highly sensitive kids, that means that we can't be trusting the mental health world and how it's operating right now, the school world and how it's operating right now, and the community world and how it's operating right now to be solving the problem for our highly sensitive kids that's landing them in therapy at a much rapid rate in the first place. Are you picking up what I'm putting down here on today's show? What's important to understand is that if all of these uh, environmental pockets home, school, and community are operating at a place that's sending highly sensitive kids to therapy at a much faster rate, much higher rate, then we can't look to outside influences like school and you know mental health professionals and outside of the home and, um, and the community supports as ways to solve this problem because it's what's creating the problem in the first place. The societal connections to how we parent uh, towards the general population is keeping your kid who is not a, a general popula population kid, a minority, one out of every five, 20%, that's a minority. It's not gonna work for your, for your sensitive kid because they're a minority in the, in the population, okay? So if, if the um, professionals or the setting that you're working at, all of those settings, they're group settings, right? Um, they're even, even doing individual therapy, I was learning how to do this to serve as many kids as possible um, with the most success. That means that the outliers weren't, you know, I wasn't getting special, specialized, specialized training in how to serve the outliers as part of my um, basic mental health training. I needed to learn that over the years of identifying sensitive kids in my practice and then figuring out uh, this, this stuff that you teach me is gonna work for the regularly, you know, typically anxious kid or the typically depressed kid or the traumatized child isn't working for children who are highly sensitive. There's missing gaps here, okay? Uh, that's true for highly sensitive children, highly sensitive adults, highly sensitive adolescents. It's the same pattern no matter the kid's age and no matter the highly sensitive person's age. And so um, highly sensitive adults who end up with chronic suicidality, chronic self-harm, you know, the most significant mental health needs, uh, end up with a, with a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and they have the least uh, success rate in mental health when traditional mental health approaches are, are taken for that population. So what we have to do is we have to backtrack all the way down to childhood and look at well, if highly sensitive adults with chronic suicidality and self-harm 
who are accessing typical mental health supports in adulthood have the least um, effective outcomes from that, from that service. Um, what are we doing early when those kids are caught early in the mental health system that is keeping them on the same path that ends up, you know, that, that has them end up with poor outcomes as adults, right? We have to solve this earlier. So as a child therapist and, you know, in, in, this, in this dynamic, what I noticed in my private practice career was that there's a key component missing and this is the parent-child relationship and an awareness of the personality trait to shift the dynamic in the home. So for you as a parent, you need to be learning through the, to manage the emotional uh, skill sets for your child and then teaching that to your child. Your child cannot learn them themselves and then teach them to you, to demonstrate them to you. And then you say, oh, I know deep breathing helps my kid. Let me help them do it more, right? You can't be having your kid be there uh, be the messenger in this dynamic because it's the same problem that we see with highly sensitive adults with chronic uh, major behaviors. Well, guess what? If you're parenting a highly sensitive kid who has had major behaviors right now and they're six, why are we using different logic to address the same problem just because of how the, the child's age? That doesn't work. We've seen this countless times. We've helped hundreds of families break out of this meltdown cycle here at MTC. And I saw uh, hundreds of families in my private practice individually where they were suffering before I learned what was working. So now solving this problem over and over again through parent coaching and doing this consistently, we know one thing is true. You as your child's parent are the change agent for your kid. Okay. And the key component here is don't uh, second guess yourself in your effectiveness because your delivery is off. So if you're talking to your child in an ineffective way to try to share emotional management skills, then yeah, your child's not going to respond effectively. But don't make that mean that it's not you who can, who can move the needle, who can shift this dynamic consistently. Okay. Um, all right. So this is really important because when you're trying to find those opportunities to share, if you're not delivering the skills in an effective way, then those opportunities are, are going to be, you know, you'll feel like you're holding the bag. You'll feel like um, what you're saying is falling flat. It's also important to look at the opportunity when you are actually trying to share, uh, talk about emotions. If you're trying to talk about emotions when your child's melting down and they're overwhelmed and they're flooded, that's also not going to work. All right. So, so the timing is off as well. Okay, so we could be the way that you're talking about emotions or the when you're talking about emotions. Two things uh, are missing here, all right? You can't use these as reasons to outsource emotional management skills to somebody else. So what, what do you need to do? What do you need to do? We're gonna talk about the three C's to break out of this pattern to get together today. Um, one of the components to breaking out of this pattern, you have to include, has to include your certainty that you are the one your child needs to learn from. Okay, so this is where mindset support comes in and, and, and you know, personal development psychology on managing how you perceive yourself as the perfect person to support your kid and learning these skills. You are the best and only person to help your kid learning, learning these skills. Everybody else is a bonus. It's icing on the cake, but you're, you're the foundation. Okay, that level of certainty is, it needs to be as solid, as rock solid as the, the, the certainty that you will never drive a car unless your kid is buckled in, okay? 
because if you're wishy-washy at all, your child will feed off of that. They're highly sensitive. They hear, they read the room. Whether you hear them do that or not, they're feeding off that energy. Okay. So if you're delivering it like, Oh, honey, I think we need to, what, 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 what feeling do you think you're having right now? There's no certainty in that, in that tone of voice. Your child needs to be uh, hearing from you that they, that they observe their emotion is something they need to be focusing on right now. So when we coach our parents, one thing that we often find is the parents are asking questions. Asking questions about emotions at that point. When you ask your child a question, you're indicating to your child that there's an option that they can respond or not. Okay, so when we're, you know, you wouldn't do that when you're putting your kid's seatbelt on. So why are you doing that when you're, when you're talking to your child about emotions? When they're about to lose their mind, this, you know, about to blow their top, emotions are the thing they need to be focusing on. We're not asking questions at this point. We're telling them what they need to be doing what they're, and, and teaching them about their emotional experiences throughout the day, all right? So you have to be certain about that. And um, the next thing that you need to be doing, that's, that's number, the first C here. The second C here is that you need to be consistent. Talking about emotions on a regular basis, not just when your child's losing their mind, okay? Um, why? Because highly sensitive kids are ashamed of their big emotions because they tie their big emotions to their big behaviors. You know your child is losing their mind and then coming back to you to apologize. Wallow, woe is me. I'm awful. You know, you should just put me in jail. All of these terrible things that your kid is saying about themselves. Heartbreaking stuff, right? That's shame. Child's feeling ashamed. They're feeling guilty. They're feeling worried that they can't control it. And so consistency in emotional conversation, oftentimes parents can think, oh, you know, my kid can't handle it. Uh, I can only talk about emotions like once a week. Otherwise, my kid's going to, you know, um, you know, we're having the, the conversation about the dreaded F word, feelings. My kid's on fire when we talk about this stuff. I can't, I can't even handle my kid's response to this, let alone my kid handling their response to this. So let's just talk about it like on Tuesdays when they have no other activities. Seven days is an eternity for a child. And this is true for children, right? Younger children, four or five, six, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds. Think about it. When you were a teenager <laughs> and, and you were calling your, um, your love interest or you were writing past the notes back and forth and they didn't pass that note back to you in like, you know, under 10 minutes, Time stretches to infinity and beyond, right? Because children, youth, live in the here and now. Right now is all I can focus on. So if I can't get what I need right now, I don't, I don't feel safe and in control. And so if you're not talking about emotions frequently, consistently, they can't notice that it's relevant. They can't notice that it's necessary. They can't notice that it's reliable and you're not going to get enough data to learn what works and what doesn't work with your child. Okay. So if you're, if you find yourself, I talk about this with our clients. If you find yourself playing double Dutch, like, I don't know when I should jump in, <laughs> right? Uh, the jump rope game. Um, and, um, you know, you're worried about getting tripped up not knowing when you're in is and or waiting for your child to let you in then you're you're, you're falling back on uh, c number one which is the the be certain right because you're letting your child lead which is not certain um 
you know, that doesn't demonstrate certainty and leadership in, in the home. And then secondly, you're not consistent because your kid's not going to be consistent in how they reach out when they don't have skills to reach out effectively. Okay, so um, really important that you're consistent. The next one and last one is that you need to be curious. You need to be curious about how you're discussing emotions with your child. You need to be learning about tracking how your child responds when you say things one way, when you say things another way, observing patterns, paying attention to how you're, when your child's capable of talking about emotions, when your child needs to talk about emotions but refuses. And when you're stuck in the meltdown cycle, what can be really, really um, difficult is, is staying curious because the opposite of curiosity is judgment, right? And when you're fearful of the day and you're stuck in frozen mode or you're stuck in worry or you're stuck in fight, like this is aggravating and you're, you're angry a lot of the time, these are all symptoms of the meltdown cycle. So there's no judgment here. We see this all the time. You're often stuck in judgment too because your brain is focused on find the danger, find the danger, stay, the, stay safe, find the danger. Okay, so you've got tunnel vision going here. That's judgment. So you need to be able to calm yourself regularly, consistently. There's my second C here again. Enough to tell yourself that you're not in danger. Now, if your child is hitting you, kicking you, scratching you, drawing blood, uh, breaking things, it makes sense that it's hard to find a sense of safety. This is when you need professional support. Because if you as a parent don't feel safe in your own home, there's no way you're gonna be able to lead your kid into feeling safe in your own home. And you can't create safety from fight, all right? So a sense of safety means that you're not in your fight, flight, freeze part of the brain, the deep limbic system, okay? Your amygdala is not on fire saying, danger, 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 there's a bear in my house. Which means you can't be in high authority, my way or the highway mode. People who are in high, high authority, my way, or the highway mode are focused on control. That's not safety when you're focused on control. Um, that's not, you're calm, cool, and collected. That is different than keeping it together, trying not to yell, and telling somebody what to do and they need to respond to you in lockstep or else. That is not calm. That is not cool. That is not collected. That is fight brain trying not to fight. Okay, different, um, different. That's self-restraint on the fight brain, right? Um, so it's important to understand that, that um, when you're curious, you can negotiate with your kid in a way that feels like compromise rather than threats, right? Because negotiation can feel like, if you don't do this right now, then I will take away this. Uh, your child might say, well, you know, can I have five more minutes until you take away this? No, I won't. You ready to do it now? Okay, great. There's no negotiation in that. There's no curiosity in that, figuring out why your child needs five more minutes either. So in that situation, you're judging that you're the one in charge, your child's out of control, and they're not capable of being in control. You need to be in control. On the other end, my child's out of control. I have no flipping clue what to do. Sorry. Ooh, that was close. Um, and this is going to heck in a handbasket really quickly. So I might as well not even try. Or my kid can't handle it. So let me just go ahead and give in. That also is not curious. How do we make this work is curiosity. You have to be calm in order to do that. You can't be in your own flight response. Let's just make this go away. 
you can't be in your own fight response. Let me tell you what to do because I can't handle you doing anything other than what I need you to do right this minute. Right? Them fighting words, you might not be threatening your kid, but your demeanor is. Okay. So let's make sure we're covering what breaks, breaks out, right? The three things we talked about, you need to be certain, you need to be consistent, you need to be curious. And to do that, you have to be playful. You have to be calm. You have to be regulated yourself in order for your child to mimic your own regulation with them. Doing that consistently, you're tapping into the scientific reaction of co-regulation. Your child's brain is going to mimic your calm and then they will be able to follow through on your instructions. Highly sensitive people have more active mirror neurons. So when you are calm, your child will mimic that calm. They will get the signal that, that safety is available. Not without skill set though, okay? You can't fake calm. Your child's gonna read that, okay? Their, their brain is, is um, uh, much more advanced than that. Okay, so what do we do to break it out of it, right? We talked, we just talked about all of your assumptions and then those are not going to work. You have to change the way you see your child. You have to change the way that you're teaching your child as well. We've covered that a lot today. We talked about it in a way that's not going to be shameful, right? Teaching your child that they're capable. Otherwise, if they're, you're demonstrating to them that they're not capable, that you will perpetuate and add to their shame response being highly sensitive, they're gonna have a shame response whether you like it or not. If they're not capable of managing their shame regularly and dissipating that, and certain parenting tactics will add shame to the equation. And so you have to make sure you don't do that. It's gonna make your child feel worse and uh, feel like they can't do it, and they'll never be able to do it if they feel like they can't. And then um, you need to be able to be consistent in managing routines and the environment uh, so that they can feel calm and collected on a, on a regular basis because there's reliable uh, events happening in the day and during the week, etc. Doing that consistently breaks you out of the pattern. If you're struggling with that or you need more help on the how, uh, then definitely at that, at that point would be a, a clear uh, need for, for professional help. Because if your child is engaging in, in major life-threatening behaviors, aggression, um, consistent, you know, hurting themselves, hurting you, breaking stuff in the house. That's not something that you can handle on your own. It, it, it's gotten to the point where you need professional support for troubleshooting accountability because consistency is hard, right? So if your kid's having meltdowns once a month, what I talk, talked about is, is going to be, you know, something that you could probably implement by yourself. But if your kid's having these major behaviors multiple times a day, multiple times a, a week, it's unrealistic to expect yourself to stay consistent when you're overwhelmed. I mean, that's overwhelming for anybody. So get support, right? Get support, break out of the pattern faster. You deserve it. You deserve to have a happy life. Your child deserves to have a happy life and you deserve to have a peaceful existence so that you can thrive in life. We were not put on this earth to be miserable, right? So if you want our help to get, get that done, then book a call with our team. We'll talk to you about how that works. Uh, we'll need to figure out where you're stuck, what you're struggling with, what challenges and stressors are, are going on in your life, and then also what goals you have for your family and then also for your children. And if you, the challenges um, are, are, that are in the way of you reaching your goals are something that we help our clients with and we know how to help you, then we'll tell you how that works. 
uh, for sure. And we'll, we'll walk you through exactly how to, how to make that happen. And uh, to work with us, you can, you can do that on the very same co- phone call. Okay, so you're going to book a conversation with us. And uh, if, if there's a conversation that you need to have with us about some other means of support, things are perhaps um, more appropriately handled with a different level of support, we'll tell you that. Um, or if your needs are not what we solve, then we'll tell you that too. We'll point you in that direction. We'll tell you how to get started with somebody else, how to find somebody else that, that, um, you know, that solves a problem that we don't solve so that you're in the right place. Um, no matter what, by the end of the, the conversation, you'll know who is there to help you and uh, what the right next steps are. And again, like I said, if, if we're a fit, then you can get started right away because, you know, why wait? You've already been struggling long enough. Um, if you're parenting a teen uh, ages uh, 14 and up in high school, okay, so if your kid's 14 and in eighth grade, then you want to book the call without your kid. Uh, but if your kid's in high school, we want to bring your teen to the call because they need to start to take ownership of some of their behaviors and how they follow through. And um, communication is, is much more effective when coaching is done with both teen and parent together. So we do that um, because research demonstrates that's when the age shifts enough uh, and the maturity shifts enough and the environment shifts enough. Pressure's really on for the teen to start to take ownership. Um, and they need to be at the helm of that whether compared to when parents are at the helm. Okay, so happy to have that conversation with you. We look forward to it and uh, have a great day. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.